we're going through a series on relationships and uh, there's a little bit of information that I want to give in this, uh, in this sermon today which is going to, um, uh, I don't want you to lose any of it. So that's why you've got um, the little handout. Now you'll notice in the handout, it's very simplistic, it's just got a little uh, grid inside there with some missing spaces. So when those slides come up, you just put in the missing words, okay? Each one has got missing words, so you just... Uh, and I understand that you probably didn't bring a pen, but I did. So if you'd like a pen, who would like a pen? Kathy would like a pen? She's got one. Who, do, who needs a pen? Uncle Mark bought a pen. Look at that. Hey, would you like to go and serve people with pens? Just the lady beside you before you run away. And so we're talking about relationships. Now, we have gone over the last, few, the last few weeks through the process of relationships. We've got to this place now where we're talking about becoming a young adult. Of course, we've gone through childhood, infancy, childhood and adolescence. We did those last couple of weeks and now we're up to becoming a young adult, which, which is around about if we looked at this chart by Erickson, I mean this is a, sum, a, a summary of his ideas, he's a guy who's looked at uh, the stages of life that we go through and it's given uh, common, uh, uh, you know, a sense that this is probably the, the way it is. Um, infancy um, is between zero and two, childhood between three to twelve, adolescence between twelve to nineteen. And I've said to you before, adolescence has become a, an enigma because it's stretched itself to around about 35 now in the textbooks. It starts at around about 13 and goes through to about 35 in terms of it, the understanding of what adolescence is before a person really individuates, becomes an adult um, because we're, we're slowing that process down in our society. We stay in infants for adolescence for much longer. Um, and then we have young adults from 20 to 40 years, middle-aged people from 41 to 46, uh, 64 years, and senior years from 65 onwards. And so we're just uh, um, looking at the development of our lives in terms of relationships and, uh, as we grow. Now, the reason why I want to, to draw your attention to the stages of life that we go through, because I think the physical is always a metaphor for the spiritual. And a metaphor means it's a picture of. So what we do or what we are in terms of infancy is what we can be like in terms of our spiritual infancy. There's a, there's a correlation between you know, you know, being a man in God as an adult, mature man, and being a man, a grown man in, in the physical body. And the trouble is that oftentimes we find that we haven't grown old, we've grown older, but we haven't grown up. That's usually what the problem is. We haven't matured, we got older, but we never got mature. So uh, when, um, when you're Bible study, and I didn't go there, but we'll go there now. When you're reading your Bible study and doing your Bible study, I want you to, to think about the passage of Scripture that you're reading. As you're studying the passage of Scripture today, we're looking at this verse, it's, it's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. We've dealt with children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long, long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. And we did a, a study on you know, you know, a number of ways to make your children as angry as hell. And uh, if you wanted to go back onto the web, that's there. The, the last few sermons have been quite long. Uh, this one is not going to be, and everybody said, I can change my mind. <laughs> and I want to instead bring them up in the training and the admission of uh, instruction of the Lord. So fathers, uh, uh, parents are asked to bring up their children in the training and the admonition of the Lord, or the training and the instruction of the Lord. And um, there it is in the physical that's also there in the spiritual. We are your fathers in the faith and we're in to encourage you and to build you up in the faith. That's what our job is. So we're looking at that passage of Scripture and we stopped and we, we started to think about this idea, bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. And so when that Bible study methods, we're looking at our Bible study methods, you think, read thoughtfully. When you're, when you're 
when you read in the Bible, it's not something to put you to sleep before you go to bed. You know, you're laying in bed and say, oh, I can't sleep. I've got, yeah, I can't sleep. I've got insomnia. Get the Bible. That will always do it. No, 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 no. You pick up the Bible, it should actually make your mind run faster. It should actually be worse for you after you finish reading the Bible than before. You know, if you're reading the Bible to put you to sleep, you're not reading it thoughtfully. And so one of the things you do when you're reading the Bible, you've got to engage your head. And one of the problems that we have today, especially in an adolescent years, we're not taught how to think properly. We're just told what to think. We're not taught how to think. And to engage your mind is an important skill, especially in, in Christendom, to start to think about what you're reading. And you need to read repeatedly, which means if you can't get it the first time, don't stop there and say, I just can't understand it. Go back and read it again. If you can't get it the second time, go back and read it again. If you can't get it the third time, maybe by the seventh time, something will be going inside and you'll start to get it. So read it repeatedly. Don't read a whole lot. Just read a little bit. Take one psalm, one or two verses, and read it over and over and over and over and start to think deeply about what it's saying. And read patiently. Don't expect to have the answers immediately. We live in an instant world where instant coffee, instant Milo, instant everything. Give me, give me, give me, give me now. You know, God doesn't work like that. So when you're Bible study reading, you, you, you take the Bible and, and set aside some time because it may take some time. Be patient. Sit down and say, Lord, I'm willing to sit here as long as it takes so that I can get something from your word. I, I watched my little granddaughter feeding um, the other day. Well, I didn't watch her feed. I just noted the time. She's breastfed. I, I don't want it to be weird, you know. I wasn't watching her being breastfed, okay. She was being breastfed. I just noticed the time, okay. You know, it was like a half an hour on one side and a half an hour on the other side. Like it was an hour, you know. Like, you know, how often do you take an hour to eat? Well, I don't. I mean, you get down in about five minutes if I, if I really try hard, you know. It's just like get it in there, get it out, and off we go, you know. Out. No, no, this child is slow and it's steady as it goes. And it's like, have you full enough now? Burp, yep. No, no, other side then. Slow it all down. It's the same when reading the Word of God as newborn babes desire earnestly to see the milk of the Word. So slow the whole process down. Be patient with it. Slow it down. Take some time with Jesus. If I asked you how often or how long you spent with Jesus every day, you'd be embarrassed. Because you'd probably spend more time watching the TV more time eating and more time drinking and more time talking to your friends than you would be talking to your best friend, Jesus. So that's why I say, this take some time. You know, It's really important to develop that love relationship with Jesus. Be patient about it. And the final thing I want to draw your attention to is be prayerful. Like prayerfulness is that ability to say, okay, Jesus, you wanted to talk to me now? I'm coming to your precious word. Your precious word is alive and it quickens my life. And so I'm, yes, I'm coming to your word. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm communing with you now, God. Speak to me. Speak into my heart. Change me. Confront me. You know, if I said to you, go and stand in the middle of the highway, Stand in front of a truck as it's coming a hundred kilometers toward you. And you come back half an hour later, you said, I've done that. I stood in the freeway and there was a truck coming at a hundred kilometers an hour and it hit me and wiped me out. And here I am to tell you about it. You'd say to me, or that story, and I'd say to you, liar, liar, pants on fire. And you know why? Because a truck traveling at 100 kilometers an hour is going to make a large impression on your life. You would be indelibly changed forever after you'd done that. Why do you think that you could stand in front of God Almighty and have an encounter with God Almighty and come away unscathed and unmoved and unchanged? You just can't do that. You, when you sit with God, God is going to change you. Is, is something going to hit you? Is something going to rattle you? Something's going to turn you upside down? You shouldn't come away the same as you went down if you're going to sit with Jesus. He should make a difference in your life. Amen? You got that one? 
And remember the acronym? Remember we told you what was an acronym? It was letters put together to make up a funny word that would tell us a lot of information. Remember we said in Bible studies, we, we said, here's an acronym, ERAD. When you, can you remember any of those letters? When you're studying the Bible, look for things that E, emphasized. Remember? Look for things that are rel- related to each other. Okay? What's the other? <laughs> Repeated. <laughs> Repeated. Things that are alike and things that are different. That's the irad. Okay, I want you to think that through. If you haven't written that down, write that down. So when you go to the Bible, say, what's reading the Bible? You know, think about it now. Is this related to that? Is, is, is this emphasized here now? Is he emphasizing something? Is he repeating an idea? What's going on here? Is this alike or is it contrasted? Is it different to something else? Think about what you're doing when you're reading the Bible. Do not let this opportunity to get to know God go from you. This is your opportunity to hear from God. The word is given to you that you might grow. Amen? So we've studied this. And here's the idea behind spiritual fathership you see we 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 are called to parent you in in a sense you're not called not to call us father but you're here to learn we're here to to instruct you the bible says so christ gave himself christ himself gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service that's you guys we're the pastors and the teachers we're to equip you or to build you up so that you can do the work of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. God wants us to become mature. He wants us to grow up. Look at the person beside you and say, will you please grow up? Will you please grow up? Say it again. Will you, are you listening to me? Will you please grow up? The intent of God is that you become mature, that you grow up, become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Will you please please grow up and become like Jesus? Say that to somebody beside you. Will you please grow up and become like Jesus? Is that offensive to some of you? Are you sitting in the right place? Maybe you wanted to just sit beside the right person, you know, I, I, I see David's got his eyes closed because he doesn't want to see, he doesn't want to hear that. He, he doesn't want to hear his wife say, will you please grow up and become like Jesus? I don't want to hear that. <laughs> He's already like Jesus. Amen? <laughs> okay, he goes on and says, then you'll be no longer infants, be, you'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful screamings, uh, the schemings. Yeah, well, <laughs> what he's, he's put a little illustration in there. He's put an illustration like the wind blowing waves on the sea. He says, you're, if you're an infant, you're blowing this way and then you're blowing the other way. You know, look at our politicians. They start off with saying, um, you know, this is what we believe with regard to this. And then the, the, their votes go down like that. And they say, well, you know, we better change our mind. You know, uh, no, no, we've changed our mind. We've come to the truth. We believe this about that now. And everybody goes, say, yeah, what are you just seeing? You're seeing a politician who's really an infant because he's being blown away by winds of doctrine. He's being blown away. What, what's, what the people want me to say? What do the people want me to say? I don't have any beliefs myself. I just want to get into, into politician. I just want to become powerful again. And what do the people want? I'll just say what they want. That's a sign of infantileness. Because you're not having any leadership, you're being blown by every idea that's coming across the table. Seriously. It's not a sign of maturity. A sign of maturity is to know what you believe and to stand with what you believe and don't change what you believe. That's the sign of maturity. Not being blown away by every wind of teaching, the here and there. That's a sign of infancy. I'll change my mind. It just goes with the flow, you know. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is head, that is Christ. 
That's what we're here for. That's what this opportunity is for. Today, we didn't hear, come here because this is a beautiful cathedral to the glory of God. We came here to sit in this cold little hole. What for? To be changed, to encounter God and to go away different. Amen? To be moved, to be more like Jesus this week. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we read these words. And Paul has said this to the Corinthian. The Corinthian church was a dismal church. It was one of the most immature churches you could ever read about. It starts off, and he starts off really well, and he says, I want to talk to you like adults, but I can't. You are so childish, so babyish, so infantile. He says, you're so much discord. And then the rest of the letter through the Corinthians, it's all about the problems that the church was going through because of their infantileness, because of their childishness. And this is what he says in 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 chapter 13, verse 11. He said, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, the thing I want you to understand today is infancy is a stage that we're going through. It is not a state. Everybody say that. Infancy is a stage, not a state. One, two, three. Infancy is a not a. And the difference between a stage and a state is simply this. A stage is you move through it. You transition through it. You go through it. You may start here, but you don't stay here. A state is a condition that you are stuck in. Infancy is not a condition whereby you are stuck there. You get to some people and you think, this is the way I've always been. I'm not going to change now. That's stuck somewhere in a state of infancy. Change. Who likes change here? You know, most of us don't like change. If we're really honest, we get anxious about change. As soon as change comes on the table, we start going, oh dear, things are not the way they used to be. You know, we're going to, oh dear, I'm not sure about things anymore. Our security gets messed up because of change. You know, but Christian life is a continuous change to become more like Jesus. Amen? That means we've got to put off childish ways. You must be, Getting more mature, not just getting older. And so here's First Peter. This is the very beginning of our walk with Jesus. First Peter chapter two, verses one through it says one to three. It says, therefore, laying aside or put off. Now I put off my coat this morning. Uh, our pianist was playing there, and she was lamenting the fact that her husband is not here, and she was feeling emotionally cold. So Ray and I gave her a big hug, and then I felt she feeling a little bit cold. So I put off my coat, and I put it on her, so she's a warmer coat. Putting off means you take something off and you put it away somewhere else. You know, he's saying the same thing there. Laying aside, put off. What is he putting off? Malice. Now, malice. For those who don't know what malice is, you write down malice in that book that you've got there. If you don't know what it is, it is the word malice means a desire to hurt somebody. You know, I'm going to get you back for that. That is called malice. I'm going to make you. Pa- I'm going to bring pain down on you because you said that to me. I'm going to. I'm going to remember that, and I'm going to bring it to you later when you've forgotten about it. And I'm going to cause your life to have pain. That's called malice. Everybody say the word malice. I have no malice. Say that. But you have an Alice, but no malice. Okay. Put aside all malice, that's the desire to hurt somebody, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. He says, as newborn babes desire or pursue with love, the word desire is to pursue with love in the Greek, to pursue with love the milk, pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. That's the point. The point you read your Bible, the reason you go to the Word of God, the reason you go to study the Word of God, the reason you think about it, the reason you look at it, you chew it over, the reason you prayerfully consider it, is that you may grow. That's the point. The point is that God never intended you to be retarded. He never intended you to be stuck. He always intended you to grow from one state to change to become something else. I'm growing somewhere. Say that. You are growing somewhere. You have to determine to grow somebody because it's a decision that you make. Spiritual maturity is a decision to not be mature. Spiritual immaturity is a decision to not be mature. 
You have to actually... I, I don't see Miller. If you've seen Miller the last few... Where is... She's not here today. Why is she not at church? Now that, where's the note? Grandchildren should come to church. We, we had her yesterday. She had a big day with Papa yesterday. And we looked at her face. You know, and she has this face that's like... Now, she didn't actually plan to do that. She didn't actually, actually have it there, you know, oh, well, I'm going to go from... to. That was just inborn. As soon as she got onto the food, as soon as the food started flying through to her, she just started to stack on the beef. So she's getting round in the face now. She's looking like a little round thing, you know. Look, a little, Nathan looked like a Buddha when he was that age. He was just like a little... He, she's not even as big as Nathan was when Nathan was born. She's not even as big as Nathan. Nathan was nine pound three. That was kind of good on you, Jen. I was there. I saw it all. But he was just like round, you know. He would roll. You, he, he rock, he'd fall over. He'd rock himself to sleep before he got back up. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> no joking. Seriously. <laughs> you have to decide to be immature. You have to determine that you're not going to grow because growing is a natural response to the Word of God. And if you're a normal, natural person and you love Jesus, growing is what you're going to do naturally. It's not going to be something that you have to, you know, it's going to be natural. You have to determine not to grow. You have to stop and say, I am not going to change. Because if you come to the Word of God, if you can count it, Jesus like hitting a bed or worse than hitting a Mack truck. He's going to change you. You have to determine not to change when you encounter Jesus. So immaturity is a choice not to be mature. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? So if I'm not mature, that means I've been making choices against maturity all the way through. That's right. You've been making choices, which makes that really dangerous because it means that when you stand before God, he's not going to say, oh, I'm just a baby. He's saying, yeah, no, no, you chose to be a child. You weren't planned and made to be a child. You were, you, were, you were formed in God to grow up and to become mature, but you chose to stay immature. That's a whole different wrinkle to somebody who can't grow because that entails rebellion. It means that there's rebellion in there. God says, change, and you say, no, I'm not. That's a totally different wrinkle then. Okay, Hebrews chapter 5. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 5. To the right of the Hebrews says in chapter 5, verses 12 to 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. So he said, you know, it's just growing. You should have been growing by this time, he said to the Hebrews. He said, you need someone else to teach you, King, the first principles or the oracles of the word of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. So that'd be actually going backwards. You know, it's like, like, you know, when you get older, I'm told that your teeth break. So you can't chew any more meat. So it's down to yogurt again, hey? So we're going backwards, you see. It's like when you, get, when you get young, you get teeth so you can chew meat. When you get old, your teeth break, so you go back to yogurt again. Yeah, he's saying, you guys have gone backwards. He says, like your teeth have broken, he says. You know, you, he says, you used to eat meat, he says, but now you need milk again. He says, you've been going in the wrong direction. He says, everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So they had been eating meat, but now they're back at milk again. So they'd become childish. They'd become children again, not growing older and more mature. They'd been going backwards. You know, life is like that. Life is like standing. In Christendom, life is like standing on an elevator. You, are, you can't stand there and just expect that, you know, I'm just spending some time here, you know. If you stand still on an elevator, you're going somewhere. If that elevator is going down, you're going down. If you're standing still, the only way to get up is to keep on moving. And if you keep on moving, then you're progressing. But you stop and say, I'm just having a rest, having some time out, find myself in life. You know, as soon as you stop, you're going backwards. And that's the proof of it. These guys had stopped and they were going backwards. And the whole of the book of Hebrews, if you go through through the whole book of Hebrews, he's warning them over and over again, warning them, don't go back to Judaism. Don't go back to the old ways. Keep moving forward. Go through the book of, and, and underline every time he warns them about going back. Because they'd gone back. 
They become unskilled in the word of God. He said, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason have used, have, of, sorry, I'll say that again. Those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now I want you to look at that last passage or last, last thing. He says, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. Now when it talks about full age, it talks about mature. But those who, are, who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now what's he saying there? This is what he's saying. Solid food is for those who are mature. Full age means those persons, full-grown adults. So when we're talking about young adults, becoming a young adult, we're talking about from 19 onwards. You're meant to be full age. You know, 19, you can be conscripted to go and fight for the country. You're going to die for the country now. I think it's 18, isn't it? 18. They consider at 18, you're a man or a woman now, and you can go and die for the country. You're not a child. I wouldn't conscript a child. You're an adult. So they figure you're an adult, so you're going to... You, if we were in war, young people would probably be conscripted. In some, country, in some towns, in some countries, they actually do that. They conscript you. You have to go and spend two years in the army when you reach 18. I think it's in Singapore. Every young man has to spend two years in the army, irrespective of anything. They just get conscripted in there, and that's it. You spend two years in the army. You've got to do your time. That's it. Why? Because around about 18, you're a man. Everybody who's over 18 say, I'm a man. I'm a woman. I'm full grown. You are, you know, you're full grown. That's why you're not in Sunday school. You're a full grown. You're here because you're adult. But there's a combination between or a, a metaphor between that which is physically adult and that which is spiritually adult. Hopefully we can do both together. So we are infants when we are spiritual infants and we are spiritually adult when we are adults. Hopefully it goes that way. He says they're adults, he says, because they have, this, they have exercise. It says he says, those who by reason of use or they have used their senses, or they have, they have their senses exercised, to discern both good and evil. So they have sat down and they have put their head in, in sync and they've stood. Now I'm going to exercise my mind. The senses is the faculty of mind for perceiving and understanding. So engaging the mind when we come to the word of God engages the mind. I've got to think about this. You know, the last time I looked, I like the ones with the pictures in it. This one's got no pictures in it. I can't read this one very well because it's got no pictures in it. What do I sound like? Child. There are pictures all through this. I just have to read them. I have to read the picture. This is a photo album. This is a photo album from Father God. And every time you read it, you're looking at photos from the heavens. You're looking at pictures that God put in there. But you just have to put them in. You have to read the words and you have to create the picture in your mind. You have to engage your mind. You have to engage your thinking. That's the only way that you can read the word of God. You've got to engage your head. Have the faculty of mind for perceiving, understanding and judging. Perceiving, understanding and judging. That it's exercise. The word exercise means bodily exercise. It is vigorous exercise. When you go and see Carlos, how many people have seen Carlos? Carlos, you're sitting down the back there. How, do you want more people to come and see you, Carlos? Carlos will make you hurt. You know why he'll make you hurt? Because he can exercise you vigorously. He can make you sweat, and then after you've sweat, he can draw blood. He can make you bleed on the inside. He, he can make you vomit. He, he can, make, can you make them vomit? That's very good. He can make you vomit. He can, he, when you encounter Carlos as a personal trainer, Carlos will bring some severe training to you. Listen, this is the way we should approach the Word of God. We should exercise our mind in such a way that it's vigorously exercised when we come to studying the Word of God. We're actually engaging our mind with thinking about it. He says, and to discern is to distinguish, distinguish 
discerning and judging. So we're, we're trying to get to understand what is going on there. We have to exercise, um, exercise our mind when we come to the Word. And we're going to exercise our mind today when we come to the Word of God today. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, we read this verse. And this is my prayer, Paul says to the Philippians, that your love may abound more and more. And listen to what he says there, because you know that... Look, Hollywood love is all about sensual emotion, passion. Oh, look at this girl here. Hot stuff. Look at me, Mama. Wow. You know that scarf. Stop being silly. I can't help it. I love you. Well, you are, the love is abounding. Hey, do you want to dance? Come and dance with me. <laughs> That's Hollywood nonsense about love. It's all about emotion. It's all about sensual. It's all about feelings. You know, uh, you know I, I listened. I was painting at my daughter's place this week, and she has some music on, which is sort of like secular music, something some there. Uh, Buble, is that his name? Bobble, what's his name? <laughs> Michael Bobble? Michael Buble. And it's all about the romantic love, you know? I can't stop loving you, you know? And, and, and I'm, th- I'm thinking, so I'm pr- putting my little words in there, singing along too. I can't help myself, destroying the song, you know? Because I'm putting my little words in there, singing along with love. But that's Hollywood nonsense. You see, love abounding in Hollywood as you're getting so passionate and so, oh, I can't go on in life anymore because I'm so in love with it. It's an emotional thing. But listen, love in the Bible is not an emotional thing. It's a choice thing. It's a choice thing. It's a thinking thing. It's a choice you make. It's not something that you feel. Core love, agape love is a choice you make to love the unlovely. And that's why he says that your love, your agape would abound still more and more. He didn't say that you would be passionate, feeling all of these great feelings and emotions. That's fine if you're young and an adult and adolescent, you want to feel the nice, warm, fuzzy feelings. But he's saying here, no, no. He says that your love would grow still more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. It has something to do with your brain. It has something to do with the way you're thinking, with something the way you perceive. He says your love has got to be more than emotion. He says, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. So Paul is saying, I want you to grow and I want your love to grow. And so immaturity then is a problem with love. Because growing love produces maturity. And so reaching adulthood spiritually and socially means maturity in loving God and maturity in loving our fellow man. That would be right. Wouldn't that be right? Because you have to exercise choice. The fruits of the Spirit are choices that you make. And by the way, Nathan, where are you? I would never pay for patience. Pray for patience. God will always answer that one, won't he? The hard and the long way. <laughs> it's like um, you don't pray for humility. Ooh, that's a, oh God, I don't, I don't even want to say it. It's just too horrible because God will actually do it. He'll answer those prayers for you real quick because that's part of growth. Be strong. Pray for those things, young men and young women. Be bold. Embrace them strongly. They're coming at you anyway. <laughs> Life is going to deal you one of those things. You're going to learn it one way or the other because God is at work at you in you. So then we're going to look at some barriers to maturity, which are really barriers to love. And we're going to look at them in terms of our growth and how we've been going through life. So here's your first chart. Here it is. The first chart, now, because you're so in touch with this, you'll be saying, oh, right, let's get those words down in those little spaces, and we're just going to talk about them as we're going through. All right, so the first thing here is, is you've got dependence. 
A sign of immaturity is dependence. The child needs its mum and dad. I can't, I can't go, you know, there's a dependence there. Little Miller needs mum to feed her and needs mum to change her and needs mum to clothe her and needs mum to keep her warm. She needs mum, she needs dad, she needs all of that around her. She's completely dependent. That's a sign of immaturity. But the barrier with that is that, you know, once we learn to be dependent on somebody, we eventually grow and people sort of let us know that dependency is not a good thing for adults or for growing kids. So we actually try and train our kids to be more independent. We don't, we don't let them cling, you know, that, so, uh, you know, that um, separation anxiety. They need mum, they need mum, they need mum, and they start screaming and crying because mum's going to leave them there. So, and it's quite good for you to leave them there. It's okay for them to scream. They'll only scream while you're there. When you walk away, they stop screaming. Amazing, that, isn't it? It's only, the scream is to manipulate you, to control you, to let you know that you shouldn't leave them while they're there. And then when you walk away, they stop screaming because you, they can't control you anymore because you just walked out the room. So dependency is not a good thing. And so when we learn that dependency is not a good thing, if we don't act differently, if we just react, we generally withdraw. We withdraw from people. All right, you don't want to help me? I'll do it myself. I'll do it myself. And we build an idea of independence. And we think that now I'm independent. And we think that independence is maturity. No, independence is on the pathway to ma- towards maturity. But independence is not mature. It may be adolescent, but it ain't mature. And if you stay independent and don't learn what it is to be connected with other people, you maintain your independence. You haven't grown anywhere. You're stuck in one place. It's like emotional manipulation of people. That's what kids do. It's what babies do. They scream and they holler and they cry. Nathan is telling me how she... I'm using Miller because she's just a new addition to the family and two weeks ago, she, he's discovering, four weeks ago, he's discovering that now Miller is communicating in, in no uncertain terms that she likes to be held and doesn't like to be laid down. She likes it when it's warm and she doesn't like it when it's cold. And the way she, she does that is she just cries and she screams and she bellows until you pick her up and then she sucks and looks and you think, good, now we know who's got control. Let's just stay with this. You know, and that's what goes on in life and that starts then and if it doesn't ever change and you, you are able to control those adults around you from the time that you're in the, in the cot and you work right through life and you're able to scream and to cry and to throw yourself on the floor and to kick and stand, throw a tantrum and, 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 and make everybody around you feel uncomfortable because you, they're not doing what you want. And if you've been able to do that, you've been manipulating people all your life, guess what? You ain't grown anything. You stayed where you are. It's an infantile mentality. You've got to control your emotions. If you've never been educated to control your emotions as you were growing up, you're probably stuck somewhere. And as in the spiritual sense, if you're stuck there in the spiritual sense, if, you don't, if it's all emotional for you and it's not more than that, you're stuck somewhere. And so when we get stuck, we usually submit to the emotional state. In fact, our emotions is more important and more valid and more true than anything else in this world. And that's where we are in our society because we are such a sensual society. We have drank deep of the well of Hollywood or on the movies and on the TV. And we, we, it's all about emotional. It's all about that, you know, I, go to, I went and watched Bambi. Man has entered the forest. And mum will be shot. And I cried watching Bambi. You think, grow up, Mark. Yeah, well, it's very emotional, hey. I mean, it was sad. Mum got stuck with a, a shot by man. Man has entered the forest. You know? You get a, and you watch, so how many times do you cry? How many people cry when they watch movies? Of course you do. Your emotions get all stirred up, don't they? You see? You know, and how many people, when they get an emotional downturn in their life, and so they're not happy, they're depressed, they're not, they're not glad, and they're not joyful anymore, they, they sort of feel heavy, you know, and all of a sudden, the heaviness of which they're feeling in their spirit, the heaviness which they're feeling in their emotions, then becomes the statement of reality. I don't know, I'm just so sad. 
And that's the statement of their life. They walk around miserable life because the emotion has become the reality. I don't know. We've been married for so long, but the love has gone. I don't feel like I love you anymore. I I woke up this morning and I looked at you and I saw that stuff growing over your face and I thought, this is her for me. (laughs) That way. (laughs) Uh, It's her birthday. Not that way. way. I just don't love you anymore. She never said that, so I shaved it off for her birthday. That's why it's not there now because, you know, how do I give my wife something fresh on her birthday? I make it look really scruffy for a week or two beforehand and then when it comes to her birthday, I just shave it off. And Here I am. Oh, my husband, you're so young looking. I said, yes, birthday time. <laughs> okay, we won't go there. <laughs> now listen to me. Our emotional state becomes the state of reality for us. We submit to the emotion and the emotion is real. Don't tell me I don't feel these things. I know I feel those things. These are real feelings. Yeah, they're valid feelings. They're genuine feelings. But we're not governed by feelings when you're mature. You can feel the emotion. You know your emotions. But you're not controlled by your emotions. You're controlled by your mind. That's why everybody is still alive here because if everybody was controlled by their emotions, everybody would kill each other or they'd do something else. My emotions are in control here. Well, your emotions were working then. We'll exempt you from any responsibility. What did you do? Oh, I just wanted to kill somebody. You just wanted to kill them. Yeah. You know, I, you were emotionally engaged with killing. This young boy who just killed a woman and you read it in the newspapers. 14 years old, murderous intent. I couldn't do anything about it. It was just well, the way I'm feeling. Well, you know, there's a thing called self-control. You know, I don't care what you're feeling. Just because you get the hots for the woman at work doesn't mean you leave your wife and run off with the woman. There's a thing called faithfulness. It's not feeling. It's faithfulness. And you say, this is infantile behavior. We submit to the emotional state. The learned to distrust. Usually kids learn. We've we got to find if we trust people. And they generally learn as they're growing up not to trust people. Because people usually are hurtful. And in the end of the exercise, by the time you reached adolescence, it's usually, I don't trust anybody. And so they exercise. They build walls around their lives to protect themselves. And they exercise distrust. Self-life is usually a sign of immaturity. They don't even think outside the grid. It's all about themselves. It's my toy. It's mine. It's me. It's my eye. It's my. You just look at somebody. Fellowship lunch is a great day for that, you know. I, I sometimes wish that we had little food, not more food on the table. And you know why I wish that we had little food and not more food on the table? Not because, you know, we can make everybody suffer, because I want to see how much we want to share. Or how much you're thinking about yourself. Because when there's little food and not much food, you generally get people coming through like, water on the table, like, oh man, I'm glad I got my plate full. And the person behind? What's left? Put it on my plate. You know, God watches that. God watches that. He watches what you do. He watches how you are motivated. He watches whether it's self and for me or whether it's others and for them. He's watching all the time. And I want to just encourage you. Self-life is something that infants do. But when you get up, you learn and you teach them. No, it's not all about you, Mariamo. It's not all about your life and what you want. There's a family here, isn't there? And everybody has to fit into the family. And so as they, you're going to have some more children, Esperance, brother, and, and then Miriamo will be older like a dolphin, and then you say, it's your turn to look after the children. That's how it was with you guys, wasn't it? Yeah? And, that's what, and she will learn. It's not all about Miriamo. It's about looking after the family. And that's the way it goes. Because self-life, self-life is immature. And this, we have to get out of that. We have to change that. So it's not all about pleasing ourselves. Because that ends up in self-centeredness. That's the isolation that comes from when we are, when we are in adulthood. You know, all these things compile together and produce isolation. Now ask yourself the question. I'm a young adult. 
Do I feel connected to people or do I feel isolated from people? Do I feel engaged or do I feel isolated? If you're feeling isolated, then look at your life, look at what's being said, and ask yourself the question, are some of the things that I'm expressing in my life isolating me from having a real and meaningful relationship with other people? Because infantile behavior will isolate you from intimacy. And adulthood is all about intimacy. Becoming an adult is all about getting into intimate relationships. In the flesh, it's about finding a partner that you're going to end up with and you're going to marry and you're going to have children. That's what it is, young adulthood. We've reached the age, you know. We're old enough to marry now. We're old enough to have a family. We're old enough to get intimate. We're old enough to go on with life and that's fine. That's adulthood and it's intimacy that you're looking for. But if you're finding and you're an adult and you're finding you're isolated, and I, there may be some things that you need to address that could be causing the problem in terms of isolation. Reflect on those things. Conditional attachment, you know, I only love you. Have you remember the first time your child says, I don't love you? Can you remember that? I don't, I don't think we let them say that, did we? We said, if you ever say that, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and I think Johnny said it to his no no Max said it to his mother the other day didn't she didn't he I don't love you mummy my child had gone to preschool and come back and said I don't love you mummy <laughs> oh what what's that it's conditional you know you do what I want you to do and I will love you you do what I don't want you to do and I will not love you anymore you don't let me have that. I don't love you anymore. You won't let me play with my toys. It's a condition. It's a, it's a sign of infantile behavior. Conditional love. We live to get. If you can give me what I want, then I'll love you. If you can't give me what I want, then I don't love you anymore. And so we detach from people who don't give us what we want. We break away from them. You don't give me what I want, I'm going to detach from you. Oh, you had to turn on me out of here. I'm going to find somebody who will give me what I want. That's a, that's a mark of infantile behavior. That's a barrier to love. It's a barrier to growth. Infants need supervision. They need to be controlled. They need to be looked after. You need to watch them all the time. You know, Johnny wants to jump off the, the wall. We told Johnny, don't jump off the wall. He says, okay, that means jump off the wall. Or somehow it's scrambled in his head. Don't jump off the wall. And all he hears is jump off the wall. Don't touch that. All he hears is touch that. Don't touch that. And he goes, It's like he doesn't hear the don't or he's pressing those boundaries. And of course, when you are never growing up, you keep on pressing boundaries. You think that freedom means breaking all the rules. Freedom means doing as you please. As long as I can do what I want to do, I'm free. You know, and, the, and Hollywood punches it out there for us. Freedom means do whatever you want, you know, but freedom doesn't come from breaking all the rules because when you break all the rules, you find how many chains you've wrapped around yourself. Freedom comes from obeying God and walking with Jesus and doing the right thing. Then you're free. You want to ride on the road? You want to drive on the road? You want to learn how to be responsible when you drive on the road? Adulthood, there are 200 hours of driving practice with your, with your parents. 200 hours of driving practice with Carlos. 200 hours of driving practice. Why? So that you can get to learn what responsibility looks like, what it means to live within the confines of rules on the road. We don't want you traveling fast because we want you to live to over 25. We want to save your life from this insanity. Why? Because when I'm young, I just want to travel fast. And it goes, room, room, I want to go as fast as I can. We rebel. That's a sign of infancy. And did you know something? Some of us get very old and we're still rebelling. We haven't really grown up, which is the problem. Okay, here's the next chart. It's not going to take as much as the last one. We just laid that foundation. Dependency. Here's some loving choices that affect our communication with others first. Connect to serve. Don't be independent. Connect to serve. That's going to produce interdependence. Mum and dad working together are independent. They need each other. 
They're not, they're not independent of each other. Interdependence is the adult word. You grow to grow up, you're growing up into interdependence. So you start off dependent, you go into independence when you're in, in adolescent years and you do your own thing. And then when you get married, you learn what interdependence is. When you come to the body of Christ, it's interdependent. It's not independence, me, myself, I'll do my own thing. It's we together work together to achieve what God wants us to achieve. When it comes to emotional manipulation, you control your emotions. And so there's an understanding of what the other person is feeling. That's called empathy. There's working with other people and giving and taking. That's called reciprocity. It means working together and, and, and you know, you do and I do and we work together. I'll meet your needs, you meet my needs. We're, we're quite happy. That's what happens. I'll meet your... Jenny communicated quite clearly that she didn't like the moustache and the beard that I was growing. She was quite happy to let me grow it. Now, I could have been independent of her and say, I don't care what you say, you just do what I tell you and then you'll be happy in life. You know, I am the boss and you will just do what I say, woman, and I'm going to grow a beard and a moustache and you just wear it. Well, she would have to wear it if I was wearing it. But you see, the scripture does say that my body is not my own, it's hers. And her body is not her own, it's mine. So really she has some say over what I do with my body. Because it belongs to her. And so I have to, reciprocity says, you know what? There's got to be some give and take here. If she doesn't like it, you know what? I've got to consider that. Go shave it off. It's neither here nor there. And that's fine. She said she'd grow through later. I know. <laughs> I'm in trouble now. That was on her birthday too. <laughs> we learn distrust. And rather than building a wall when we become adults, in society we learn to build bridges. What will it take to connect? That's what I like the work that Chris is doing. He's not in about building walls. Kids have got walls around them and they've grown into adult men with walls around them, haven't they, Chris? They've all blocked everybody else up, kept everybody else out. They're angry at life, angry at world. And what you've got to do is got to build a bridge. You've got to get through to them, try and show them. that. And building a bridge is, is what it's all about. And, and when you're building a bridge, it's not about, I want to see if I can trust you. Like, you, we know they can't be trusted. We know they're not trustworthy. Building bridges is about you being trustworthy. Get that. Get that. We, we sit there and say, I don't know whether I can enter into a relationship with you if you're not trustworthy. Listen to me. You don't have to have somebody who's trustworthy coming at you before you can trust them. You can build a bridge and be trustworthy to them. You can show them what trustworthiness looks like. I am worthy to be trusted. I'll be there when I say I'm going to be there. I'll always be consistent. I'll never let you down. I will be consistent and trustworthy. You know, it's not about you being trustworthy to me. It's about me being an example to you about trustworthiness. You want to see what trustworthiness looks like? That's adult behavior lived in front of you. We model it for our children. We model trustworthiness. You know, there is a legacy with divorce. And I, you know, I, some of you are divorced and I don't want to have you, but there's a legacy with divorce. And the legacy is that was an illustration of something that broke down in terms of human relationships. And that leaves a legacy in time. In what you've got to show kids because they saw the bad, you've got to try and show them the good. You've got to show them the trustworthy thing. You've got to show them that it is working. Because now young people just don't want to get married. You know, it doesn't work. I wouldn't put any, I wouldn't even bring children into the world. You know, well, I want them to face that sort of life. That's what it's like. We model it. We don't have to see it. We model it as adults. Self-life. Well, we die to self. The Christian way is to die to self. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet, not I but, I, but Christ liveth in me. We die to self. It's not about ourselves. It's about the other. Everybody says, about the other. It's about you. Not about me. It's about you. It all is around about you. And when you're there, it's not about me, it's about you. So if everybody's saying it's about you, what do we get? We get a little touch of heaven. Because that's what it's like. Everybody looking after someone else. 
It's an attachment that is unconditional. We give. And it's a development of submission. Not rebelling. It's the development of submission. And it builds community. So I asked the question, what would it be like if I didn't come today, if I didn't front up today? What would it be like if Sister um, um, Renee didn't front up today and help me with the chairs? Every Sunday, you don't see it. We, we meet here just, around, just about quarter past six. And Renee and I get to work, the two of us, so that you can sit your bottom somewhere every Sunday. And she doesn't miss. She doesn't miss. We're there and it's dark outside. We come here in the dark. We come down here, we turn the lights on, come in here and Renee and I start. We open the thing and we start wheeling the chairs out. She knows exactly where they've got to go now. I pull them to her. She pulls them off and stacks them where else. That's what we do every Sunday morning while you're still in bed. Because it's not about us. It's about you. Friends, I want you to understand that. That's maturity. That's modeled for you. You develop submission. What would it be like if we never decided? We, we, we'll go down to the beach next week. Can you see the problem? Can you see the problem? See, the issue is this is if we've got to change, we've got to become more like Jesus. This is not about, you know, just playing around and playing stupid games and being religious and stuff. This is about growing in life. This is about becoming more mature. What does it take to become more mature? You don't need supervision. We need submission to one another and we need to, to live in a community. And this affects our relationship with God. And when we have our relationship with God, we exercise this connect to serve and we build with God because God's in the process. You know, we're hitchhiking with God. God is saying, well, okay, let's go. I've got men. I've got men working with me. I've got women working with me. Oh, we can do something. He said, revival's coming. I tell you what, revival's coming when you wake up and get revived. That's it. It's not going to get here until you wake up and shake yourself and say, you know what? I'm going to do something about bringing revival. I'm going to front up and I'm going to be at the prayer meeting. I'm going to front up and I'm going to help with the chairs. I'm going to get on my face before God and I'm going to pray and intercede. You know what? Because I'm going to build with Jesus. That's maturity. It just doesn't like, it's coming like some mystical wave is going to hit us. It never hits you like a mystical wave. You wake up and you will discover it. It's not about us all being revived. It's about you individually being revived. And then when we all get together, we are all revived. We have revival. An emotional manipulation. If you decided you can, can, can control your emotions, well, what do you do when things are going tough and you're feeling really bad? What are you going to do? Well, you've got to put both feet on the word of God and you've got to say, I trust God's word. God's word takes precedent over my emotions. I'm feeling like people don't love me. I don't care what I'm feeling. It doesn't matter what's going through my emotions. They will change with the morning. The sun will get up. The birds will sing and I will feel happy tomorrow. It doesn't matter what my emotion state is. I know what the word of God says and that's where I'm standing. My feet are on the word of God. Not on my emotional state. I'm not here because I, I felt like I wanted to be here this morning. I got up at 3 o'clock this morning, not because I wanted to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I got up because God was calling me up. And it wasn't about my emotion. I just trust His Word. I just, I'm believing your Word, God. I'm trusting that you're going to speak to the congregation today. I just believe your Word. Irrespective of what I'm feeling like, I'm trusting you, Jesus. I'm trusting you, Jesus. I'm trusting you, Jesus. That's adult behavior. We learn to distrust, we build bridges, and God is in, he's looking and says, be faithful. That's what, when you're building bridges and you decide to be consistent and show trustworthiness, well done, my good and successful, wealthy, no, it doesn't say that. Well done, my good and achieving, comp no, it doesn't say that. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant it's about faithfulness god's looking and he's, he says you know what you know i might take it all away from you tomorrow oh don't say that i, I got hanging on to it I, I don't want it all to go i, I i'm just come my security is in my stuff you know he says you know what i might take it all away from you and i want to see if you are still going to be 
faithful. Because that's adult. And his desire is to make us adult. For us to grow to become adult. We live to please Jesus. There's no more self. It's Jesus at the center. And we love unconditionally. That's why you didn't come here to get love because you're a good person and you're lovable. You came here because God loves you unconditionally. And you hope that when you came here that you would find other people who would see you as you are and be intimate with you and love you unconditionally. Not look at you and say, unless you jump through the hoops and do the right thing, you'll get acceptance only if you do the right thing. No, no. You're here because people want to love you unconditionally. That's where we go. And we don't need submission. We just, we don't need to be uh, in our supervision. We don't need to be supervised by God in terms of um, being told to do something against it. Well, we have learned to submit. And we develop that submission, which means that we fellowship with one another. And we build community with one another. Amen? Passage of Scripture that we started off with says these things. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, overcoming the barriers to maturity, overcoming the barriers to love, overcoming those changing to become more like Jesus. So become the fullness of Christ then we will no longer be infants tossed to and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning of craftiness of people and their crafty and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. God help us to become adults. 